We back in the lab, we making some noise, so go turn your decibels up. Yeah. Black skin, white coat, oh no, who was nice as us? Made Jimmerson, really told us no limits, so we about to take us up. Went from mixing in the kitchen to the lab, and now nah, I can make this up. Be side, be scientist, be side, be scientist. We shining a light on the people of color to show them how fly it is. Be side, be scientist, be side, be scientist. We back in the lab with white coats on our back, trying to show what time it is. Hey. And welcome back to the B Sciences Podcast, a podcast by the Black Science Coalition Institute, or BSI. When you hear this noise, that is our in podcast citation. And if you hear that noise, you can go and look on our website to see all of our citations ever at b.sci.org backslash B Scientist. I am G Archaeologist Jordan Chapman. As always, we have the dope chemist herself, Jana Carpenter. And yeah, I mean, we're still grad students. We're still living life. Still grad students, still grad schooling, mm-hmm, all of that mm-hmm. good How stuff. How you doing? I'm okay. Uh-huh. I am okay. Made it through another week, which is always mm-hmm. a huge milestone. Yeah, clap for it me. up. Clap it up. Yep. Yep. <laughs> How are you doing? Tip off the head. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. Just, just living. It is October, the autumnal season of the The, year. What'd you say? Autumnal. I love saying that word. Autumnal. It's just a weird way to say autumn. Okay. Oh, autumnal. Really? I might not even be using that word correctly, but I said it. I mean, you get a lot to me. You sounded like a genius when you said it. I already knew you were a genius, but you really no. sounded like a genius when you just said it. I think I've probably heard it on NPR or something like that. And I was like, okay. yep, <laughs> that's my word now. Right. <laughs> yep. Dope, dope. But um, yeah. Yeah, the autumnal equinox was on Wednesday, September 22nd. So there's something. That's probably mm. why that came up. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. And, and other news... <laughs> I, I guess today will just be a, a, a little bit of an outline of, of some things going on. <laughs> Generally, just science news. And in particular, there's now three-dimensional electronic microflyers, which is interesting because these are tiny microchips that mimic uh, seeds or seedlings that can fly in the air. And so these microchips are going to be used to kind of surveil areas for pollution and the spread of airborne disease, or at least that's what we're hoping, right? (laughs) Because this kind of reminds me of those Black Mirror episodes. These small microchips are just kind of flying in the air. They're smaller than the size of the tip of a pencil. And yeah, I don't know. There's something about it that feels slightly scary just because i feel like it can definitely be used for bad very quickly mm-hmm. but yeah so the whole idea is that uh, the scientists at uh, northwestern university led by john a rogers uh, developed this design for this highly rotational device so it's got three mm-hmm. sides and it's kind of like a pop-up propeller in a way and they did say that they designed this from kind of like children's books how they pop up um, and they use this mm-hmm. this design to kind of help the dispersion of this microchip through the air, just like a seed would, just like um, maple trees that have propeller seeds. 
Um, this right. is known as the Samara fruit um, that they used for their design. So yeah, you've got these tiny, tiny little microchips just flying in the air. Totally mm. chill. Um, <laughs> just, you know, surveying areas. Nothing could mm -hmm. possibly go wrong, right? Right. So um, we did a Black Mirror episode um, some time ago. And this reminds me of, the, I forget the name of the episode. I think it's called Hated in the Nation. Um, it's about how this billionaire scientist basically created mechanical bees. And because like someone like used like whatever Twitter thing they were using in the universe of Black Mirror, they like hacked the bees. And like if you used a hashtag enough, the bees could go around and just like kill people basically. This isn't the same thing, but it's, right. it's, it's the idea is, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting idea and cool that we are reaching these kind of levels of, of scientific discovery where we can literally send mm -hmm. out seedlings to monitor how our ecosystem is, is functioning. But at the same time, it is kind of a little scary because it is just, just one step away from that exact episode <laughs> because i mean so this 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 design doesn't actually have motors or any kind of battery okay. use but it could easily be transferred to that right <laughs> these okay. are essentially just microchips that are collecting data so there's no reason why they couldn't just make battery operated little drones right <laughs> so yeah i mean that's 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 wild it's, it's one of those questions where it's like do we do do we as scientists push the big red button and it always seems like you know we gotta ask that question because like on the one hand we do need that we need something because because of human activity we're, we're not we don't have um we're losing our pollinators we're losing bees and things like that because we don't know how to treat the environment so and this is a solution to that but it's like we also might do something stupid so yeah yeah and so and it's also it's kind of um while you can locate these microchips pretty easily it's kind of hard mm -hmm. to say whether or not you can collect all of them at the end of an experiment right if you do a widespread mm -hmm. survey you know to get the right sample size you know you might need a hundred of these tiny little microchips and so right. really what is the likelihood of you getting all 100 of them back <laughs> mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and then what happens to the area that you're looking at once it's just gone what if someone picks it up you know what if it falls in someone's hair you know <laughs> it's just kind of weird um, and obviously uh -huh. I don't see them just dispersing these in highly populated areas but at the same time if they are effective um in the same way that these Samara fruit seedlings propel, then there's really no telling how far they can really reach as far as distance. Mm -hmm. So really right. interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. We'll yeah. Um, in other news, um, this upcoming week, so today is October 3rd, um, this upcoming week, they will be announcing the Nobel Prize winners for six different um, categories. They are physiology or medicine, that's one, physics, chemistry, 
economic science, literature, and peace work. Over the next week, they'll be announcing that slowly. And there, while there has never been a Nobel Prize winner for medicine or physiology who is Black, um, there is at least one person who was nominated from the article I've seen who is Black. Her name is Dr. Marilyn Hughes-Gatson, um, if I'm saying that right. And her research focused on sickle cell. So yeah, that's that's something to look out for. I'm excited to see that because it's it is the crown jewel of science, right? To to one day get a Nobel Peace Prize. Most people won't even ever be nominated. So just to be nominated is it's it's not like when you watch like the war shows and they're like, oh well, just it, but like literally to be nominated for a Nobel Prize of any um, kind is legitimately like an accomplishment and one to be proud of, no matter if you win it or not. So, but if you win it, obviously it's just crazy, but yeah. So that's happening this week. Um, some other like famous Nobel prize winners for, at least for peace include Barack Obama and Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King. So that just tells you like the category of like accomplishment that, um, go that, that is to win a Nobel prize. The ceremony is going to be in Oslo, uh, Oslo, um, which I don't exactly remember which country that is in. Norway. I saw that was in Norway. Okay. Yeah, um, my next guess was going to be Sweden or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a good guess because uh, the committee that decides to win Nobel's prizes is like a, a, a committee that's made up of um, people in Sweden and Norway. So, so that's something to look out for. Always these areas of uh, high recognition can always use more people of color. Um, mm-hmm in my opinion and you know there's i mean even besides that fact there's always so much controversy that goes into who gets nominated for these positions i feel like just because Mm -hmm. science is pretty competitive um yeah you know you come up with something in hopes that no one else has come up with this original thought before so really it's kind of like a a race in a way um Mm -hmm. are you coming up with something interesting that no one else has thought of maybe maybe not maybe someone has thought of this and they haven't gotten things published yet you know like it's sometimes it's just the sometimes it comes down to who you know right so if you get published is it because you know those people who are editors on a certain journal you know Mm -hmm. do you have recognition do you have that uh what is that status on ResearchGate? do you have impact factor (laughs) you know so (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely a huge accomplishment to even be recognized uh, in those spaces. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm definitely interested to see who, who comes out on top. Right. It's funny, as you were saying that and talk about like the competitive for science, I started thinking about the fact that there, you know, we all know Charles, Charles Darwin for, you know, the origins of the species, but there's also Alfred Russell Wallace, who also came up with the idea of natural selection. And he, I think the story is, is that like he sent Darwin a question or something like that. He sent like a letter to Darwin because it's like the 1800s, and he or he, he sent it to somebody. It's either he sent it to Darwin or he sent it to someone that Darwin knew. It's like this, does this sound right, basically? And then Darwin got word of it and was like, "Oh, I actually already." kind of have this idea so let me just publish right now before he has a chance so you're right like the one of the most famous um advancements in science happened in a a relatively the same type of way you describe it so it's just just crazy yeah it really sucks um sometimes if you think about it because 
you know, sometimes your worth it go- comes down to how many publications you have. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just like, it's crazy. You could be on the brink of a huge discovery. And if you don't get it published, then really doesn't matter. <laughs> Which is, yeah. it mm-hmm. brings on a whole other slew of moral questions to ask. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like, what is your right. worth? as a scientist <laughs> which really yeah sucks. i mean it does because on the one hand like i think like a, another question that comes up sometimes is like is knowledge worth it just because of itself right so if you were to find out if you were to discover something that's like very crucial to humanity and you were like oh well that's just cool and like i'm just not going to publish on it that seems wrong that seems like morally wrong but on the other hand, if you are going to publish it and someone else does, and someone else also made the same discovery, then you would hope that there should be no competition. It should be collaborative and like, oh, well, we both figured it out. Let's just publish together, right. which can happen. Yeah, because it's like rarely, it's the case. rarely do you find something that's like a complete mirror of someone else's perspective. Maybe you have a different perspective mm-hmm. or a different angle to look at the same thing. And I feel like that should be honored just as much as long as it's not something that's like, Oh yeah, I heard someone talking about this at a conference and now I'm going to publish on it because I'm vindictive, right. <laughs> which does also yeah, happen. Yeah. But It does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's really cutthroat and I wish there was just more collaboration. With- which we, I mean, some, I mean, yeah, we, we we love to say things like that, especially like, you know, right now you're writing grants and stuff. And I have in the past for at least for like personal grants for like funding and things like that. And yeah, we all, it, there's always the question of like, is this collaborative? Is this blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, and, and then and I know at least in anthropology, it's always like, oh, well, we need to be interdisciplinary. And I think, you know, that what they're saying is that we'd like to work with others. But that's all, again, like you were just saying, it's not always the case. Yeah, I just went to um, a seminar where fourth and fifth year students gave flash talks on their research. And a lot of them, mm-hmm. surprisingly, um, had to be really brief about what they were researching because a lot of them were hoping to write patents on their research and working oh, with big yeah. name companies. And so it's like, you know, we they would finish their flash talk and then someone would say, but what actually are you, what's the mechanism of action for your research or something like that? And they would say, well, I can't really speak on that because I'm waiting for a patent and paperwork to mm. go through. And it's like, wow, <laughs> you know, even in grad school, you know, you're working so hard to get recognition for yourself, but um, there's so many paywalls against things and like protecting your, your intellectual merit or whatever. (laughs) Right. It's so wild to me. It's still hard for me to wrap my head around, but like just seeing it happen in front of me, is just, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Science is its own political arena, um, which we Mm -hmm. should get into at some point for sure. But, um, but yeah, I guess moving on from that, (laughs) because I could talk (laughs) about that for, for days. We can definitely about that all day. (laughs) Um, But moving on to the next item of interest which is kind of really sad to talk about kind of uh is the giant sequoias that are currently on the decline they are becoming pretty endangered unfortunately 
um, a recent survey at the Sequoia, Sequoia National Forest um, in the remote regions of Sierra Nevada um, kind of looked at there being a huge devastation caused by rampant wildfires, as we all know. And especially last year, there was the Castle Fire. Um, so basically, these giant sequoias that I'm sure you've all seen pictures of, or even if you've seen it in person, which is awesome, um, are huge, huge trees um, with a diameter at the base of the trunk that can be up to like, I don't know, like 40 feet. Um, which is insane to think about. <laughs> I can't even. That's wild. Yeah, I can't really wrap my head around how big that is. But um, these huge sequoia trees can live to over 3,000 years old, um, which is mm-hmm. crazy. But last year, during the, the onset of these really huge wildfires, over 10,000 of them were burned to the point of actually killing the tree. Uh, and so mm-hmm. what's interesting about this is that uh, if we look back on the history of these giant sequoias, of course, you got to bring up colonization, right? Uh, so before this area was colonized, um, of course, indigenous tribes were taking care of and were the caretakers of these giant sequoias, and they would have prescribed burns, um, which was a cultural mm-hmm. practice to help kind of cultivate the area and um, prime it for certain wild game that would frequent the area and this would actually be really good for the trees because um the only way to release the seed from the cone that drops from the tree is to heat it to a certain degree and that actually releases the seeds from the cone um Mm -hmm. and helps it to grow and so these prescribed burns kind of stopped dramatically after the brutal colonization of indigenous people from this area um and then, you know, there was a lot of fire suppression that happened after that. And so, of course, now that we're in the year 2021, hundreds of years mm-hmm. after people who were pretty much traditionally primed to, to help these regions, um, we have these rampant man-made wildfires, um, which you would think to yourself, well, a fire is a fire, right? Why aren't they surviving? Well, these are different types of fires now, right? So... We've been in huge droughts for years now in these areas, and it kind of hasn't let up. And I don't know that it will let up anytime soon because we see with the drastic changes from climate change that these areas are being affected at really exponential rates. And so a lot of these droughts are causing these fires to be a lot hotter um, and more uncontrollable um, than they were in the past. And so... We're finding now that um, you'll see seedlings that have been burned to the point of killing off the seeds inside um, and the fires reaching up to the tops of these huge sequoia trees, killing them off completely. And so um, where once you would see hundreds or thousands of small sequoias growing each year after a prescribed burn, we're now Mm -hmm. only seeing dozens uh, and with the rapidness of these wildfires each year, we're seeing less and less of these smaller sequoias actually surviving to the next year. So it's really concerning because these are natural wonders of our world that we're just casually killing off 
one by one and mm-hmm. don't really know how to feel about it because <laughs> I just, you know, this is a problem that we could solve with the help of experts and national forest mm-hmm. Uh, officers and indigenous know, people and indigenous people and it's like uh, man um really messed up on that on that part u.s yeah. kind of messed yeah, I'm up thinking about it yeah i'm like sitting here thinking about it i'm like i think i saw like a picture of like them like taking like something like aluminum foil and wrapping it around one of the sequoias um that i believe is either the tallest or the oldest i don't remember which one it is but it's like if you've ever seen a picture of a giant sequoia, you probably saw a picture of, of that one. And just to think that, you know, I think earlier this year, or maybe, I think, there, I mean, there's been several different wildfires. Now, but, I, but I think we also talked about another one on the podcast sometime in the last couple of months. Um, so that just tells you, again, that this stuff is ongoing and current. Yeah, the so. droughts have not let up unfortunately, um, in these areas of California and um, mm-hmm. all along the West Coast. Uh, so, yeah. And speaking of the, um, they do refer to those giant, the um, the largest and oldest uh, sequoias as the sequoia monarch, or they're a group of monarchs. And yeah, so that foil wrapping is really a last resort to uh, combating the destruction of these giant sequoias but really it's like there's only so much you can do um because these wildfires are really uh out of control really uh it's hard to to manage them and i'm sure you've seen videos of how quickly they can run through an area yeah so yeah (sighs) tough stuff 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 (laughs) um in other news and climate change almost is uh so uh there was a new study um that was recently published in science magazine but also reported in npr of a research group led by matthew bennett of bournemouth university of in england um which examined a set of human footprints preserved on ancient lakeshore in new mexico's white sands national park um these footprints um, were made 21,000 to 23,000 years ago. And um, this will place the first human habitation in North America during the last glacial maximum at at least 5,000 years earlier than we previously believed, um, which is crazy because that's a, a long amount of time. I mean, in terms, and so um, part of how they figured that out was due to radiocarbon dating, which I mean, we, me and Jenna have both done. Jenna has done it a lot. So, um, that's just, just, a <laughs> just, just, just a couple just a couple thousand <laughs> samples. <Cool. Yeah. laughs> so that's something that's going on. Um, and I think it's real interesting because the last glacial maximum is like when we see a lot of like, just like a lot of climate change. Um, um, for the people who don't know what the last glacial maximum is, sometimes you might hear it referred to as the LGM. Um, but basically it was the last time glaciers were as far south as i believe like where today is like wisconsin-ish and i if i'm not wrong i think that's also part of how um uh the great lakes um were formed too so that just tells you how big an event it was um and we're talking like 
huge glaciers. We're talking about like mile high glaciers, just that far south. Um, so, and, it, and their impact, if you think about just um, how big that is and cross like a huge swath of land, we're talking about again as far south as Wisconsin, right across like that part of the country from you know Oregon to like um like I think there are some places in like the northern parts of New York that um, also have glacial features um, from back then. So that just tells you how wide and wide, like how widespread the glaciers were. So I just think it's real fascinating to think about those things because it kind of intersects with a lot of like my fields in both archaeology, um, because this is talking about footprints from um, the first humans to set in North America, but it's also geology, which I also kind of do, and also geography, which is like my minor from um, Penn State. So it just kind of reaches and touches all of those places to me. So I think it's just really cool. Yeah, I thought it was interesting too, because the thing I always find cool about these kinds of things, like finding out, oh yeah, humans have been here for like a really long time. Um, I feel like often, sometimes scientists will like belittle the fact that like humans are kind of kind of really smart if you think about it because i mean i know it's like oh they're so primitive they oh they used sticks and stones and all they used all of these things and they didn't really know what they were doing it's like well we kind of also make the same mistakes time and time again as humans so Mm -hmm. i don't know i think we should give them a little bit more credit like they cut themselves alive yeah Yeah, like they cut themselves alive twenty one thousand years ago but potentially that's kind of incredible (laughs) yeah for sure and like the fact also pushed back by like five thousand years is also crazy because oh like for a while we're just like oh yeah like it's right here and now it's like you know you might have been wrong about it's earlier so just that's just crazy to think about sometimes too yeah, I'm kind of interested to see how they will um, decipher, like, their how they responded to their environment, how they adapted to their environment and lived and communicated with each other. Because um, mm-hmm. now it's like, you know, now you got to find new terminology to come up with to say, oh, well, you know, it's just some blanket theory to say, oh, well, this is how they communicated and blah 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 mm-hmm. i don't know i just think it's interesting no it's that's <laughs> fair i'm also thinking about like some of like what else is going on around that time like you still have like a pretty sizable population of like woolly mammoths and like large um animals like that walking around too so yeah it's just that's just dope as hell yeah that's pretty cool. i just mm-hmm, like i think i yeah just I don't remember, like, the entire, like, you know, ecosystem of what's going on besides the woolly mammoth. I think there's, like, also, like, pretty large, like, sloths, maybe? Mm-hmm. I, something like that. Um, I know there's, like, a like large saber tubes. It's just tigers around. There's just crazy <laughs> stuff like that walking around. <laughs> and you're like, I could not. And no, you probably could not. It's just, it's just that's, that's wild to think about sometimes. Honestly, I just think about, like, people who live in Florida and are often just like you know just a casual alligator just on their front lawn (laughs) or something like that i feel like it's like probably something like that where they're like oh dang it the tiger's on the on my front lawn again like oh the woolly mammoth Mm -hmm. just like crushed my crops (laughs) like i just can't imagine it but no that's crazy 
I, you said something about alligators and um I, there's a tiktok video going around of like a dude like taking like a trash can in florida and then like putting an alligator in it so apparently that's just wild. what i found out about this dude is that he's from philly and that he also used to drive septa and in my head i'm like that makes sense <laughs> it just makes sense that's crazy because I, I did see that video and i was just like first of all how, how are you you're approaching the alec and you're just mm-hmm. cool calm just cool it. collected did it without mm-hmm. any issues at all i was just like this takes a certain breed of person. And now that I know that that's a Billy, I'm just like, well, there it is. <laughs> yeah, you you got to be careful. If you if, if someone moves from Philly to Florida, you just got to take into account both of those things. You can't, you just, you. there's a certain type of energy that person is giving off. You got to be careful. They're just built different, right? Built, they built different. <laughs> that's hilarious. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, highly recommend seeing that video because, like, I mean, it was just expertly done. Truly, I would have dropped it. I would have like slipped. My hands would have been sweating and dropped the the trash can, and that would have been it for me. You know, that was not a small. Honestly, the fact that it was not. Listen, if if I ever like, I I just if there's ever a day where like a snake or something like gets into my house. Then either one of two things is it's going to be fight or flight. Is it's, it's like just just start there. It's going to be fight or flight. But if I'm fighting, then I'm I, I'm just I just gotta get I just it's gotta go. It just can't walk this earth again at that point. I just like so even if it's an alligator, I'm like you got you. I don't know how you got in here, but you can't leave. So I even give props to him for just keeping it alive at that point. Like that's just mad props to that dude. I wonder. I, I wonder what part of Philly he's from. To be honest, that's that's kind of what I want to know now. I'm just like, man, that's crazy. But we are. Uh, we don't really have too many services. We we've been busy, you know. Um, just studying for comps. Jenna's got. Um, she's writing like at least two grants right now. Yeah, there's so, one due tomorrow. And then still working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just been a lot of running around with like a chicken with my head cut off. Um, yeah. But I still enjoy this. I still enjoy learning new things. The fight, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I still have the fight within me. But it is tough. And we're, we're doing our best. Mm-hmm. We we might not have too many guests for the next, you know, month or two probably. Um, because we're still, you know, just handling stuff basically. Um, and then we've also talked about deep hours and stuff too, which I'm really excited to do when we finally do it to be honest but it's just it takes a lot to do it because it's like research on top of research which is why like i know at the beginning of the podcast that's kind of what we thought we were going to do was we thought we were going to like you know research like that's kind of how that black mirror episode we were talking about earlier happened we were like oh let's watch the episode let's break it down and you know what we found out really early on is that it took a lot of work Indeed. Um, but we do want to get that back to doing stuff like that it just it just we got to be in the right headspace for it. I guess it's the right um, way to talk about that, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, we've floated around a few ideas and if you have anything specific that you'd like us to do a deep dive into, I think we'd be more than willing to look into it. Uh, Cause it is a lot of fun mm-hmm. to do. Um, but yeah, just like Jordan is saying, we do need to be in the right headspace 
and with so many things going on, it's, it's a little difficult to do right now, but we definitely have a few ideas that we would like to execute um, when yeah. we can. So, so thank you for bearing yeah. with us. We appreciate <laughs> you. Yeah. Just before we go, also we did for similar reasons, we pushed back um, the date that will probably publish the magazine because again, it's, it's just work. <laughs> it's just, you know, um, we were kind of slow to doing things. Uh, we had to get the editing stuff together so we could make sure that all the articles would be um, presented in the way we wanted them to. Um, and then, you know, the scientific rigor that, you know, the BSOP board members could do. But again, we all have lives that, you know, revolve around other things. So we had to push that back. We might, we're trying to do it early next year, like 2022, um, within the first couple of months. So it's still yeah. it's still planned. It's just pushed back. Yeah, and I mean we we are working towards it really hard. Um, we just had our really successful workshop uh, with distillations mm-hmm. that was really awesome. I learned a lot. Um, yes, and I think everyone who was in attendance was able to gain something from it. So yeah, mm-hmm. you know we're really hoping to make something really special. Uh, so please be on the lookout for that and be thinking about things uh, that you want to submit. And we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get out more information about that as, as the time nears. So. Mm-hmm. Also, um, later in October, um, we'll be doing another distillations workshop. This one, um, we, we just did was about narrative nonfiction. And the next one will be, um, more about podcasting and audio story selling. So that's one that definitely, you know is relevant to us as podcasters. And if you've ever wondered, how do I start a podcast? <laughs> you might, might want to check that one out. Definitely. We'll have the, the, um, we did a registration link, um, for that one. So we'll probably do the same thing. Um, in fact, I think it's already created because, uh, one of our, um, partner science for Georgia has a monthly newsletter and they were asking if we had anything coming up. So I think I just made one real fast so they could have one. So it's out there. We'll put it, we'll publish it um, soon enough. So look out for that. Well, as we wrap up this week, I just want to say thank you again. And as always, we hope you will be scientists. See you guys. Be Scientist is a podcast by the Black Science Coalition and Institute, or BSI, a 501c3 nonprofit. B-Scientist is hosted by both Jenna Carpenter, chemist, and B-Sides Research and Development Officer, and Jordan Chapman, geoarchaeologist and B-Sides President. Music is produced by Delarallo, and lyrics are by Ed Gunner. Special thanks to Michael, Mike, Castor, Marshall, and the Plaza Abbey Studios. If you'd like to donate to B-Side, visit our official website, bside.org. That's b-side.org. Your donation supports B-Scientist and B-Sides other projects. We couldn't do it without you. So... Please tune in next time and always be scientists.